Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, our service today. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, it's such an interesting passage because Jesus actually begins to teach in parables in order to force the crowd to process and think. I mean, it's kind of an interesting uh, event because the disciples are excited because the crowd is there, interest level is high. What is Jesus gonna do next? I mean, he was doing miracles, he was healing. Um, It was an amazing time in his ministry. And then Jesus sort of changes the way he approaches the crowd. He tells a parable. Now, sometimes you think that a parable is there to clarify, and I do think that parables do clarify, but sometimes a parable is there and presents a sort of a mystery, like what in the world is he talking about kind of moment, in order to see who's going to lean in and listen. Who really cares about what Jesus is saying? So uh, it's, it's the parable of the seed and the soil. You know, I, I read a story um, about a pastor in Illinois who had a sister, and his sister went through a five-year battle with cancer. Now, she was a woman, as her, her brother Steve described her, she was a party animal, a big drinker with a, with a self-contented lifestyle. She was someone everybody loved because she exuded an excitement and a thrill for life. And Steve tried to share Christ with her, but she would just laugh it off. It it wasn't something she wanted. But then at the age of 44, her world caved in. She found out that she had breast cancer. She later learned that her husband had cancer. Adding to the devastation, she also learned that her husband was having an affair, and then he announced to her that he didn't love her anymore, and he left. It was in that context that she began to ask eternal questions and soon prayed to receive Jesus as her savior. From that time until her death, Jesus and the word and the purpose became her priority. With the same gusto that she lived life as an unbeliever, she now approached her new life in Christ. Her greatest aim was winning others to Christ. She boldly shared her faith, even as she was undergoing surgery after surgery after surgery and praying for a miraculous healing from the Lord. Judy ultimately came to see that the greater miracle would be that her friends and her family would come to know Christ. Even as she struggled for every breath, she talked her way out of the hospital about 10 days before she passed so that she could publicly be baptized. It was a way of her declaring that her faith was in Jesus Christ. She invited everyone that she knew to come to her baptism service. Under the Spirit's anointing, she powerfully and urgently shared her testimony. Her 84-year-old father came to faith in Christ that night and was baptized along with her. Her ex-husband, a number of nieces, a college roommate who was a new age cultist, her aunt, her sister, and others all came to Christ. 10 days later, Judy died. Even still, more people came to the Savior. When Steve read the message that she had prepared for her own funeral service, another 100 people prayed to receive Christ. 
Now, the interesting thing about this story of Judy is that you can see that the soil of her life changed from beginning to the end. I mean, she lived at first with no interest in Jesus, no interest in the gospel, happy and content with her life. But then cancer came and things began to fall apart and she began to have a new capacity to listen and ask questions. You know what Jesus is doing is he is giving an explanation about the crowds. He had been drawing big crowds and their response was mixed. First of all, there were the Pharisees from Jerusalem. They were not about Jesus. They didn't care about what he had to say. They were there to trip him up and come up with some way to declare that he wasn't good. And then there were the crowds. The crowds were there because they were excited to see miracles. Some of them were desperately needing a miracle. And so the crowd was there because Jesus had the power to heal and do the impossible. And then there was the family of Jesus. His family, they were just worried. I mean, here they had their brother. I mean, he, he was surrounded by crowds all the time, which concerned them. And they just wanted to go get him and bring him back home and end the craziness. So there were so many different groups there. There, there were some people that were there and um, you know, as, as soon as the healing stopped, as soon as the miracles were done, they left. They didn't really wanna know Jesus, they just wanted to get what he would give them. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, I, I need you to know that there is a bigger perspective going on here that unless you understand it, you will not understand where we're headed. So Mark chapter one, beginning, Mark four, beginning in verse one. And again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And when he taught them many things by parables, he, he said to them, uh, he, he, he said to them in his teaching, and here's the parable, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, but because it had no depth of earth, when the sun was up and it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on the good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. He said to them, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables so that, and then Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah, so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand lest they turn and their sins be forgiven them. So the very first subject that comes up in this particular passage is, we have to ask the question, why did Jesus start to tell 
parables? Why did he sort of change his approach? Now, this was a question that the the disciples had. I mean, honestly, uh, the disciples were saying, Jesus, okay, you missed the moment because the crowd is there with a strong amount of interest, and then now you're telling an obscure story. It's kind of a boring story. I mean, everybody knows that a sower sows seed, and the seed lands on the different ground, and it has different results based upon whether it's fertile ground and is cultivated and ready to produce a lot of fruit. Jesus, why are you kind of backing up here? Why didn't you tell them one of your great stories? And Jesus was telling them, well, because it's time for me to start filtering out the crowd. We, we, we really need, I need you to know, not everyone who is here really cares about what I have to say. They just want what I can give them. Others have already concluded that I'm no good. These, these are the Pharisees, they're against me. Nothing I say will change their opinion. It's all about the fruit. I mean, it's all about the, the soil. The sower is good. The seed is good and powerful. But the difference here is the way people receive it. Now, one of the things that all of us in this room should take away from is this. What kind of soil am I? Am I really listening? Am I really open? Do I really want to know who Jesus is? Or do I just want to get him to do what I want him to do? You know, I remember um, one time I, I came across this advertisement or something. Someone was offering me this incredible deal on four nights, five days at a Florida resort. I mean, it was a three-bedroom apartment. I mean, I have five kids, so, you know, I don't like to go on vacation with one bedroom because that's just nuts to me. You know what I'm saying? Let's just stay home. But I thought, this is so incredible. I think it was $299. And we could be there for like a week. And then it said in the fine print, now you will have to come and listen to a presentation. Has anyone ever got those offers? Okay. So we went to Florida, and um, I had been talking to some people about this great deal, and some of my friends said, now listen, you got to be careful when you go into that presentation. You are under no obligation to buy what they're selling. I mean, if you want to buy it, that's great, but, you know, I, I just want to warn you. And then they begin to talk to me about buying some plans, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid to talk about this because some of you might be selling timeshares or vacation shares, and God bless you. I mean, I love it. The presentation was phenomenal. They said a lot of great things, the slick uh, pictures as they ran through their lecture they said you know what one of the most important things in your life is not what you acquire but the experiences you share with your family and I'm like boy that makes total sense it is a worthy investment to invest in spending vacation time with your family because you are with your family in a way on vacation that you're not with them during the regular times of your life man all of this stuff was making great sense to me I loved it And then they get to the point where they're going to start selling. 
And I whispered to Cindy, now Cindy, don't say a word. We're, we're not buying anything today. I did not come prepared to spend a lot of money on some fancy vacation pass- package. We're just here for like the really good deal, okay? You might say, man, Pastor, you're not very nice. I know. <laughs> you gotta know that. We sat through the whole presentation and because I've had people telling me, you know, you got to be aware of this, this, and this, and this, I sat there and I resisted. I endured those awkward moments where they were asking us to sign on the dotted line. It, boy, they, they were going to discount this package from this amount to this amount, and today it's this amount for you. You know what I'm saying? And then now there will be some fees associated with this once you're an owner. Oh, tell me about those fees. Well, you know, we don't need to talk about that right now. No, that's what I want to know about. Well, it turns out that um, it was not only the purchase of the ownership, but then there were the maintenance fees. And actually, I, I helped my dad as he managed some of his stuff. And oh, my goodness. But we finally endured the awkward silence and said, no, thank you. And then we just sat there. Well, let me get my manager. And he came back around. He was good, man. I tell you what, these guys are great communicators. And they made the offer again, and I just sat there. And I hated every second of it. What was going on there? I'm going to tell you something. I was, I was the hard soil. I had come into the conversation and I had already decided what we were and were not going to do. And I'm not going to say that I was wrong because for, you know, what we had, the money we had, you know, with five kids comes lots of stuff. You get what I'm saying? And Jesus was warning the disciples, hey, I want you guys to know that the crowds are big and it looks great. But there's a lot of stuff going on here that you might not be aware of. I want to tell you this parable. Now that you ask. You know, at the end of the day, when Jesus was finished with his ministry, there were only 11 disciples, 120 in the upper room. And Paul says in Corinthians, it was a one singly assembled crowd of 500 people that saw him after the resurrection. So that is a long way from the multitudes that had been following Jesus. At first, it sounds like Jesus is using a parable because he didn't want people to get it. He quotes Isaiah. Jesus is surrounded by people who want miracles, but they really don't want him. They're not interested in his message. And he says, I'm telling you this parable because it's like this filter of the receptivity of the people around us. I I want you to know There are people who want what I can give, but they really don't want to hear what I have to say. They're not all as interested as you might think. Now, when I I look back at my life, I have been in my relationship with God every one of those four soils at one time. I mean, there have been seasons in my life when My mom used to quote the verse when I was a teenager and I would leave the house to go with my friends because my mom was the preacher, I'm telling you what. 
she would say to me, oh, Eddie, oh, you're going with your friends. Okay, listen, have a great time. But I want you to remember this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. I would get so mad at her. Okay, mom. I didn't want to hear what she had to say. I've been hard soil. You know, the second soil that he talks about is is the soil that um, it it falls in in the place where there's, it's a shallow little bed of dirt and rocks underneath. It's like every yard in Springfield, Missouri. Okay, that's what I'm gonna say. And the, the seed goes in and springs up, but it can't have very much of a root. So any kind of trouble, sun or drought, it's not gonna survive and it dies because the seed did not go deep enough to establish a root system to sustain it. And growing up in church, there were many Sundays I would go to church, and I was there. But I, you know, really, you know, I wasn't really that engaged. Then there was the seed that fell among the thorns. I mean, there's thorns, and Jesus says, you know, that that is representative of um, the thorns and the thistle, the concerns of this life, and the desire for stuff and. <clears throat> And then the last one is, is the good soil. The good soil receives the seed and it has room to grow. Do you know what James has to say about this? He has to say this. He says that, you know, the key to a flourishing life in Christ is to listen and to obey. Be doers of the word, James 1, to 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what, what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work this one will be blessed in what he does that that's where the growth comes i love what tim keller has to say about this he says the seed is so weak it is not a hammer it is not a fire You see, a hammer crushes its opposition. Fire consumes its opposition. The sword slashes through the resistance. The seed seems so weak. Why would Jesus Christ characterize the gospel as something as so weak? But come to think of it, a seed has a paradoxical weakness and strength. There is an acorn. On the one hand, that acorn has everything necessary to grow a huge tree. Out of that tree can come hundreds of acorns and hundreds more trees. A single acorn has the power to cover the entire face of the earth in wood. No hammer, no fire, nor sword, no sword, and yet it can take that acorn, can actually change the world. So Jesus taught in this parable 
because he wanted people to think. You know, it's that tension of, I'm not sure what he's saying. What did he mean by that? That, that, that weeded out all of the spectators and identified those who were leaning in. No, I really want to know. The, the second point I have is this. Seed, the seed has power, incredible power. I actually think that the seed is probably one of the most amazing it's not an invention of God, creation of God. One of the most amazing systems that God has created. You know what seeds do? They feed the world every day. Um, it has power. In verse 13, he said to them, do you, you, do you not understand this parable? How then... How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that has been sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the world's sake, uh, word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for, every, uh, for the other things uh, entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. The gospel is like a seed because it has power. You know, when God created the world, you know how he did it? He spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. He spoke the world, word, world into existence. God's word creates. God's word has power. 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. What Jesus is saying is restated in 1 Peter, that the gospel, the word of God, it's information, but it's more than information. It's not less than information. It's information, but it has power, power to create, power to change. When a seed comes in, it releases its power. Now, here's the deal. You can take glass, you can take metal, you can take stones and plant them in the ground and water them and fertilize them, but you know what? They can't grow <laughs> because they don't have power. And those are beautiful Bricks, but they have no life inside of them. They don't have the biological life in them. When we talk about the word of God being a seed, it does have power. It, it is spiritual life. 
The very life of God comes into you through the understanding of the word, the understanding of the gospel. It was the power that comes in when, when that's what Jesus was talking about. When the seed of God's word comes in, it changes how we think. It changes what we think about. You begin to think about things that before didn't even matter to you. For instance, the holiness of God. The Father's love. Heaven and hell. The hope of future resurrection. Before you get this life in you, you don't even believe in all of these things. Or they're just nonsense. Or maybe they're theoretical ideas. And, but when the seed of God's word comes in, when, a life, when this life comes in, it begins to change you. All of a sudden, you have an interest in things you never thought of before. I, I heard years ago that one reason why people are insecure about whether they have been saved and have a relationship with God is because people don't think enough about the gospel. They, they almost treat salvation like, well, here's something I gotta go do. Okay, I've done that, so I'm done with salvation now. But if you wanna live a rich life, you gotta let the seed of God's word and his truth go deep within you, meditate on it, celebrate it, recite it, rehearse it all the time, every day. It's not that you're getting saved brand new every day. No, it's like, wow, this salvation that I have is so magnificent. I'm gonna remember today that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, like he actually did that. And that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So like I actually can be sure that I'm not gonna perish. I don't wanna perish. Do you wanna perish? I have everlasting life. I love the idea of everlasting life. Do you? You know, I have a son, James, who is 26 years old, and he's a great young man, and he has Down syndrome, which changes his world, okay? And James loves everything, but he doesn't like heaven. Every time I say to him, you know what, James? You know, your grandparents, he has pictures of his grandparents in his room, and your grandparents are in heaven, and one day, because if we accept Jesus Christ and he's forgiven us of our sin, we can go to heaven too, and it's gonna be the best. I said, so just think, James, one day you're gonna go to heaven. He says, no, I know heaven, uh-uh, no. You know why? Because James is a smart boy. He has figured out that everyone he knows who is in heaven died, and he doesn't wanna die. I've tried and tried and tried to approach this topic in a way that he would accept it. But so far, I'm, but I'm not giving up. But you know what, when the seed of the word of God comes in, when I think about the fact that the very worst thing in the world that could happen to me is I would die, I'd go to heaven. Oh my goodness, 
Does that make you excited? You know, when I think about how much God loves us, he rejoices over us with song. There is not a life in this world that wasn't created by God with intention and purpose. He knows how many hairs are on my head. He knows my thoughts before I even articulate them. Oh my goodness, the awareness of God for me is one of the most amazing things. Did you know that God knows what's going on in your life right now? You know he knows what makes you afraid, what, he make, what makes you sad, what makes you concerned. He, he knows all of that and, and like he's here for us. And when we allow that to penetrate our lives, it's so wonderful. Anyone here ever been criticized? People put you down, tell you you're not good enough, maybe even, maybe even tell you you're, you're just kind of worthless. But then you remember, no, no, but God, God knows me and loves me and cherishes me and I was made by God with a plan and a purpose and he gave his only begotten son for me, so I'm sorry you don't like me, but you don't get the last word. Do you see how the word of God is like a seed planted in our souls that never stops growing? And it changes us. There are people who go to church and God is a great theory. You, you know, you believe in God, believe in his power, but, but the question is, do you like know God? Does he live in you? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That is life-changing. Now, in order for the seed, the seed has power, in order for the seed to release its power, it has to go deep within the soil. And when it goes deep, the power of the seed releases life. Um, you know, I, I have in my yard, and I don't have one of those beautiful, perfect yards. Honestly, I just have to admit to you, I love my grass. I'm not willing to spend $6,000 years on my, on my grass. You, you know what I'm saying? Because I've talked to those guys that come around and they have a whole treatment plan. It's, it is like the most, whoa, we do this and then we do this and we do this and we do, and, and, and how much is that gonna cost me? Oh, two to $3,000. Oh, wow, okay. I mean, I, I, live, I live by some open fields, and I'm, I'm going to, I kind of like dandelions. I really do. I, I, I know I'm not supposed to. You know, those, those purple flowers that are coming up spontaneously in, in, in the grass, it, it doesn't make your grass the perfect green grass, but I think it's pretty. 
Um, the reason I do get embarrassed when I have dead spots because it just gets muddy. So I go to one of our great home improvement stores in town. You know what I'm talking about. I ask the person that's there to help me. That's what the commercial says. And they pull out a bag of seed and I read on the seed and it says, well, what you need to do is kind of scratch up the, the ground and loosen it up just a little bit and then put, scatter the seed out there and water it every day. In six to eight weeks, you're gonna have some grass. Now, the thing about planting a seed is you are not in control of the process. I plant the seed, I cover it up, I water it, I water it. After the first couple of weeks, I'm like, man, I don't know if what this person sold me is even anything. It, it, nothing's changing here. You go week two, week three, week four. I mean, it says six to eight weeks, right? And then you're gonna have grass. I get a little bit discouraged and think I'm probably just wasting water on this patch of mud. And then after about six to seven weeks, I start seeing these little tiny blades of grass peek through the, the ground and, and it's working. Now, planting a seed is different than building a shed. I would never build a shed because I'm just not that handy. But anyway, if you were to build a shed, you'd go and you'd get all the necessary lumble and all of the things that you need. And the great thing about building is you're in control of everything. There's nothing mysterious. You get the hammer, you get the nail, you get the wood, you start following the instructions, you, you build that thing. But not when it comes to seed. It's mysterious and you're actually not in control. The power of the seed is amazing. But it does require trust. And the power of the seed is amazing because in order for the seed to grow a plant or grass, it has to die. Um, and that's the last point. Jesus says, you know, the, the idea of power being released in the seed when it dies, because the seed must fall into the ground and it must die. And that's when it begins to sprout. Jesus says that's exactly what's going to happen. Because I'm the seed. And I will die so that you can have life. John 12, 24, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. In Romans chapter five and verse eight says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
He died for us so that we could have life. And that's why we love him so much. I was reading the story of a, of a pastor. His name was Peter Miller. He was from a small town in Pennsylvania. And uh, he lived during the American Revolution. And there was another man who lived in his town. His name was Michael Whitman. He was an evil-minded sort who did all he could to oppose and humiliate the pastor. He made his life miserable. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. At first, the pastor thought, well, thank goodness the Lord took care of that guy. I didn't know how much more I could take of him. But then he remembered a part of the Bible from Matthew 5 where Jesus said, hey, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he said, like, wow, God, I guess I blew it. And he decided to travel 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor. And so he approached General George Washington with the request. Washington said, no, I can't grant you the life of your friend. This old preacher said, my friend? This guy's not my friend. He's my most bitter enemy. Washington said, what? You've walked 70 miles to save the, save the life of an enemy? That puts this in a different light. I'll grant your pardon. And he did. He released him. And so the pastor took his enemy, Michael Whitman, back home. Except that now they were no longer enemies. But they were friends. His act of love showed the difference between just hearing and doing. So Jesus was telling his disciples, I just need you to know not everybody's here for the same reason. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for followers who will want to know me and want to know my ways and who will painfully and even sacrificially do what I say because you believe that my ways bring life. So, the multitude throughout the ministry of Jesus gets kind of whittled down. I wanna ask you to bow your heads if you would. Um, so like if you were to rate the soil of your life. Are you like on the footpath? Like, eh, honestly, God, don't know, don't care. Leave me alone. That can be your choice. Or are you the kind that is like, man, I, I love it, God, when you do miracles and answer all my prayers and... But you know, if, if I'm not getting what I want from you, I don't know if I need to stay around. Or, or, or are you the soil that's like, yeah, I want God, but I got things to do and goals to accomplish and desires to satisfy. And so I, I want God, but I, I, I want him with the rest. And, and you know what? 
what God says, you, you can't actually do it that way. You, you have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be provided. But you can't let serving Christ be one of the many things you do in order for it to work. It needs to be the thing you do, and everything else gets put in secondary place. And we can live fruitful lives if we will listen and obey. Where are you? What is the nature of the soil of your heart?